0: Um, so today um, we're going to be reading from the book of Matthew verses uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 21 and 22 and then Matthew chapter 5 verses 38 and 39 and then Matthew 5 43 and 44. You have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is the word of God. You may be seated.
1: All right, good morning, everyone. I'm uh, so happy to be here this morning to share God's word uh, with one another. Uh, on Christmas night of 1776, George Washington led a group of Continental Army troops over the ice-cold Delaware River into a snowstorm, and he overtook a group of Hessians that were fighting for the British Army uh, at the Battle of Trenton. They were unprepared for Washington to come on Christmas night. They didn't know that he'd be there. But that night changed the tide of the American Revolution. Eventually, the confidence built in that battle gave the American soldiers the confidence that they could win the whole war. And it changed history as we know it. That's right. In 1941, the Japanese were expected to try to initiate battle with the United States on their home turf. But on December 7th, the date that will live in infamy, The Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. Uh, This became, uh, this was such a sneak attack that Pearl Harbor became a a synonymous term for a sneak attack. That unexpected attack made such an impact that America, that had stayed on the sidelines during, while everyone else was at war, got involved. And the next day they declared war. Eventually, they would end that war with brutal force and hundreds of thousands of soldiers would be gone because of that unexpected attack on December 7th. More recently, on September 11th, 2001, civilians from New York City to Pennsylvania to Washington, D.C. were all murdered, and the world was shocked because of the attacks that happened that day. Since then, every American has experienced changes, even in the ways you travel. Uh, So many soldiers joined the military because of September 11th and we were at war for the last 20 years because of that unexpected attack all with the hope that we wouldn't be taken by surprise again you see these unexpected acts had major impact and they changed caused major change this morning we're going to talk about the unexpected and not unexpected acts of treason or of war but rather unexpected acts of generosity and the kind of major change that they can make. Last week, Pastor Kyle mentioned that he'd be away and that I would be speaking. And uh, so many of you reached out and, and, uh, with words of encouragement. I get so excited to, to share the word with you all. Um, but if last week, Pastor Kyle stood up here and told you that he was going to be on vacation this week and that instead Jesus was going to be preaching, um, I think the reactions might be a little different. You all would uh, make sure you were here, make sure you were here maybe even days early to try to get as close as you could. You would invite everybody that you know because you wanted them to hear Jesus preaching. Well, Jesus isn't preaching this week, but we're talking about his most famous sermon. It's often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, The words that he speaks, though, are not easy. If Jesus was speaking this morning, you may have been excited to be here. But after he spoke, you might not have come back next week. (laughs) His words are hard, um, but they change lives. So Jesus begins his sermon in Matthew chapter 5, and he's talking to the disciples. It's not a large crowd. They've, They've kind of backed away. And he begins talking to them and telling them about how blessed and how awesome it is to mourn and how blessed people are that are poor in spirit, and how blessed people are that are persecuted. Boy, this, this is different. This doesn't sound like what we've heard, right? Doesn't make much sense. These are called the Beatitudes. After that, Jesus explains how his disciples are salt and light. Listen to verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, How shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Salt and light, salt is potent. It sticks out. Um, A meal can be ruined or saved by salt, right? One of the easiest things we can tell is, oh, there's not enough salt in that, or it needs a little extra salt, right? Um, it's It's potent, it sticks out, it makes a difference. Similarly, light in the darkness sticks out. It's very easy to see, even a small flash of light in the darkness. There's no question what it is. Jesus says, you don't put it under a basket, but you put it out for all to see. He says in the same way, we should let our light shine to make a difference. And why does he say it? So that people can see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. This is a heavy command we'll see throughout this sermon that Jesus isn't just saying, just be a good person. He's looking for more from people. You see, Jesus wasn't just some guy. Even the most ardent atheist would tell you there was something about him that caused such a ruckus that 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him. You see, if we're to be like him, we need to stand out. We need to go above and beyond. If disciples are supposed to be salt and light with the purpose of people seeing our good works and then looking at God, then we need to do more than just follow the Ten Commandments. Right? If you just don't kill somebody, that's probably not enough for people to look at God and say, wow, look at how you've changed their life. Not Killing someone is usually pretty simple for most people. (laughs) Um, if people, If we want people to look at us and say, this is a changed life, look at what God has done, then you can't have reactions that the world would justify. You can't be light in the darkness unless you act differently. And the things that we'll talk about this morning, they stick out. They stick out like light in the dark. You see, Jesus said over and over in these verses, and there's many more examples in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. You've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said such and such, but I say to you something more. You see, it isn't that there's just some new command. Jesus says, I haven't, you know, I haven't abolished the old law. I've fulfilled it. It's not just that there's this new command. It's not a new set of rules that Jesus has for you. You see, it's more than that. The religious people had become pretty good at following the rules at this time. But it wasn't the rules that Jesus was after, it was their heart. He didn't want them just to follow the rules, he wanted them to show unexpected generosity to people in such a way that they would turn and look at God. That's what being a disciple means. The three sections of the Sermon on the Mount that Tracy read this morning reflect our need to be humble and consider others greater than ourselves by showing unexpected generosity. And we'll see that in order to shine our light, we need to give up anger, give up revenge, and give up hate. So let's start here. Give up anger. The first section that we read was Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. He says, I know you've heard it said in the past, don't murder. I'm telling you, don't even be angry. Now, some of you might be thinking, oh, I hope Jesus, Jesus isn't on Facebook, right? <laughs> right? He doesn't have a phone. He's not looking at that, right? <laughs> There's a lot of anger out there. Some manuscripts say, whoever is angry with his brother without cause, right, in these verses. That, that's how some of the manuscripts say. Um, we know at certain times in the Bible, Jesus was angry, right? We've even coined a term about it, righteous anger like the reasons to be okay uh, with certain types of anger. But the anger that he's referring to this morning is an unprovoked anger. And it's a deep-seated anger. When he says, whoever says you fool, some people say that almost is, is more along the lines of calling someone condemned, right? It's an anger that wants to hurt somebody. Anger tears people down instead of lifting people up. How sad it must make our Heavenly Father when he looks down and sees people spewing vitriol, hate, anger towards one another, family, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. How sad it must make him calling one another names. Give up this anger. In Philippians 2, 3, it says, in humility, value others above yourselves. Think of others above yourselves. Have you ever been angry with someone and they didn't even have a clue? Have you ever been fighting with someone and they didn't even know you were fighting with them? I, I was reminded of uh, one night I was After Tammy and I were married, I I had this dream and uh, in my dream she cheated on me. Now believe me, there's nothing to this, right? (laughs) But I just had this dream. So I woke up and I was so mad at her. Oh, I was fuming. I was so angry. I didn't talk to her for like an hour. And finally, It was like I came to the realization, oh, I had a dream about this. This is all because of a dream. I'm fighting with her. I didn't even know why I was fighting with her. It was just this dream that I had had. Um, Have you ever been in a situation where you're fighting with somebody, and it's it's about a conversation that's never even happened before? You think in your head, well, I know they think this. I know this person thinks this. And you start getting mad at them. And, you know, if I said this to them, then they would say this. And then I would say this right back, right? We have these whole fights in our heads sometimes. We're angry with people, and it's unprovoked. Jesus says to give that up. Yesterday I was at the grocery store. I was behind, I was getting um, meat from the deli counter, and uh, this guy behind the counter went on for five minutes about how he stopped to pick up food last night at a restaurant and to bring it home and they got the order wrong. And he was fuming. He went through every detail about how he went back into the restaurant and he told this guy off and he said this and that. And And for five minutes, he was so mad talking about it. The next day, he was still so mad. And I thought, man, How can you have so much anger? How can you have so much anger? Some people feed off being angry and offended at every little thing. This happens in churches too. People are angry about the clothes that somebody wears or the way that they speak or the songs that they sing, right? Give up the anger, don't insult one another. As much as is possible, live peaceably with one another. And not just that, it's not just don't be angry with somebody, but listen to these verses from verse 23 and 24. It says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, someone is angry with you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Jesus wants us to be reconciled with one another. Preserve peace. Don't be angry with somebody else. And if somebody's angry with you, go and fix it. Does somebody have an issue with you? Take care of it right away. What a beautiful picture Jesus gives of leaving your sacrifice at the altar and going to deal with your brother who has a problem with you. Leave the sacrifice here. This is your time with God. When, at this time when people were bringing a sacrifice, this was, this was a very big deal. It was important and it was a time that you were with God. And he's saying, leave it here. Go take care of your problem with, the bro- with your brother. It's, it's almost like he would say, listen, you don't need to worry about going to church today. You have a problem, somebody has a problem with you. You need to go and fix that. Don't worry about coming to see me Go and see them and make it right. That reminds me of like a parent. You know, for, for those of us, some of us have parents like this when we, uh, we, we go to see our parent and the first thing out of their mouth is, have you talked to your brother lately? <laughs> have you talked to your sister, right? They know that there's a problem between the two of you and they, they don't care as much about you being there and what you can offer to them as much as you going and taking care of the problem with your sibling, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Go, take care of that, be reconciled. That's how much he cares. You see, and not only is reconciliation between brothers and sisters in in Christ important, but also reconciliation with God is important. You see, until we've reconciled with him, God has something against us. We've sinned against him. And therefore, he's at odds with us. And if you're here this morning and you've never reconciled with him, God has something against you. Like the person in verse 23 had something against his brother. We've broken his law, but Jesus has you covered. He's got you. You see, he fulfilled that law, and he paid your debt to God. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the the dead, you'll be saved. You see, you need to be reconciled with God. And Jesus would say, you know, this is about the closest thing we have to an altar here at Refuge Church. (laughs) So Jesus would say, if you're here this morning, you probably should stop listening to Mark right now. And you need to be reconciled to God. So don't wait until the sermon is over. Don't wait another second. Be reconciled to God now. That's how important it is. So we need to give up our anger as disciples of Jesus. But not only that, in verse 38 and 39, we'll see that we need to give up revenge. It says this, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. And if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. An eye for an eye. There's a little bit of context that's needed for this. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. This was the law that they had in the Old Testament that said, if someone hurts you, you hurt them. If someone steals $100 from you, you take $100 from them. If somebody breaks your arm, you break their arm. And this was how they attempted to pe- keep the peace and provide restitution. They usually went before a judge, and it became a rule. It's almost reminiscent of the idea of karma. <laughs> if someone does something to you, you do it back to them. Well, the other area of context that's needed, specific for these verses, and what we'll read a little bit more, is that the Jew- Jesus was speaking to Jews who are currently under Roman rule, okay? So let's read verses 40 to 42. It's a, it, he's just said, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would suit you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You see, the Jews were under Roman rule and they were waiting for a Messiah to come and lift this tyranny. They were waiting for someone who was going to bring them out of this awful situation that they were in. And what does Jesus say? He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. That might sound a little strange, but at the time, the Roman soldiers had a common practice. If they needed to go somewhere, they would grab somebody, usually a Jewish person, and tell them here, for the next mile you're gonna carry my gear. And the Jewish person had to do it. They were under Roman rule. Whatever they were doing, they had to stop at that moment and carry this Roman soldier's gear for a mile. So when Jesus says, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles, it's not just a cliche to go the extra mile. That's not that's not what it is. It's literal. And he's telling them to carry the Roman soldiers equipment for another mile. Well, this is crazy. If someone sues you for your tunic, give him your cloak as well. This is insanity. They wanted someone to save them from their oppressors and Jesus was telling them to give more to their oppressors. Why would this be? How could this be? Because he was calling, he's putting into action his call to be salt and light. This is how you make a difference. That the God of the universe would send his only son to pay our debt of sin, to die on the cross is absurd and it takes absurd actions for us to communicate that love to somebody else Jesus gave the ultimate example of this in 1 Peter two twenty-one 21 to 23 it says Jesus who when he was reviled did not revile in return but rather continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly when Jesus hung on the cross he looked out at the people who were murdering him and said what? Father forgive them for they know not what they do. They were killing him. They were killing him in that moment and he cared more about them. He said forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. What an example. What an example of that. Our desire should not be to keep score. We need to love and forgive. I found this true, especially in marriage, but really in all relationships. Man, when we first got married, I was keeping score left and right. Whew. Tammy forgot to take out the trash, Man, maybe I don't need to do the dishes tonight. If Tammy got mad at me, well, then I can get mad at her, right? It was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But that's not, how, that's not what Jesus calls us to, right? Maybe you've heard the saying, do business as business is being done, right? However the other person is doing it, that's what you should do too. That's not what Jesus says. If someone treats you poorly, you're allowed to treat them poorly. That's what the world will say. That's what people expect. But if you live an expected life, then you're not living the life of a disciple of Jesus. You, Jesus was anything but ordinary, and he doesn't want us to be ordinary either. When someone wrongs you, they'll expect you to seek revenge. But then, wha-pow! Unexpected generosity. Bam! Invite them out to coffee. Right? Out of nowhere. They're not going to know what hit them. They're going to be expecting you to treat them poorly because, you, because they treated you poorly. But when you treat them well, When they've treated you poorly, boy, that's different. That's something different. That sticks out. That's salty. The law of retaliation contrasts with the unexpected generosity that a member of the kingdom of God should display. We have to be willing to suffer loss, suffer loss of our pride, loss of our money, loss of our time, instead of causing another person to suffer. Later in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 21, Peter asks Jesus, when my brother does something wrong, how many times do I have to forgive him? Like seven times? Do I have to forgive him seven times when he does something wrong to me? Does anybody know what Jesus says? Yeah, 77 times he says. That's how many times you need to forgive him. Now, it's not legitimately 77 times. The idea is you just keep forgiving him, right? After he says that, he tells this story. There was a servant that owed his master a large sum of money. And the master said, all right, I need this money. So I'm going to sell you and your wife and your kids and everything that you own. And the servant says, please, I just need a little bit more time. I'll pay you back, please. And the master feels bad and has pity on him and says, I'm going to forgive you. And the servant is so excited, he goes out on his way. Well, in the meantime, the servant comes across someone who owes him a small sum of money. And the servant grabs him by the neck and says, where's my money? Well, this, this man who owes him money says, I just need a little bit more time, please. I just need a little bit more time. I'll pay you back. And the servant says, nope, you got to go to jail, and throws him in jail until he can pay back his debt. Well, the master hears this story through the grapevine, and he goes and finds the servant and says, I forgave you your debt, and you can't forgive this guy? The debt that I forgave you was so great. His is so small. You know what? I'm putting you in jail until you can pay back your debt. And listen to what Jesus says. In Matthew 18, 35, this is the last verse in that story. It says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If you can't forgive those that have hurt you, then you don't truly understand what God has done in your life. And trust me, I know some of you have been hurt very deeply. And I don't mean to minimize that in the least. Instead, it shines a light on what God has actually done for you. That deep hurt that you felt and how much more that we've done for him, we've done to him. It reveals the greatness of what God has done in you through Jesus. See, he's not calling us to something easy. And he's not calling us to something that's focused on us. He's calling us to be a light to the world. And to do that, we have to give things up. We have to give up anger. We have to give up revenge. And we also have to give up hate. Matthew 5, 43 to 44 says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, think about who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to these Jewish people who are under Roman oppression, right? The Romans were their enemies. The Samaritans were their enemies. Jews had enemies everywhere, right? The Romans were persecuting them. They were oppressing them. You know, I believe right now in our country, there are people who are successfully stoking the flames of hate, right? It feels like our country's divided in two by political party. And at times, it feels as though each of those parties is treating the other as their enemy. But the persecution the Jews were feeling was much different. Jesus says to give up your hate and to love your enemy. Love for the people who persecute you and pray for them. Listen to how he explains it in verses 46 and 47. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You see, at that time, a Jewish tax collector was... Man, he was considered bottom of the barrel. People hated them. They were a tax collector, which meant that they worked for the Romans, so they had kind of traded. They were being traitors to their people. But not only that, they were taking undue taxes from the Jews to pay the Romans, and on top, they were charging them more and skimming some off the top to pad their own pockets, right? These are bad people. Jesus says, even they love the people that love them, right? That's not that hard. We're not being light if we treat people kindly who treat us kindly. We're only living up to the standard of everyone else. Nothing sticks out about that. We don't need the power of God to love the people that love us. We can do that on our own. But our enemies, to love our enemies, that takes the power of God. That's a special kind of love. Listen to this modern interpretation of these verses. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. Man, this week I've been really focusing on on these verses and thinking a lot about these ideas, and I've been trying to put it into play in my own life and um, just trying to go out of my way to talk to people and and try to make a difference. And this week, again, I was at the grocery store, and I saw a a gentleman who was getting the carriages um, in the parking lot, and I just kind of looked down. And so I got out of my car, and I was like, Hey, good morning, how you doing? And the guy was like, "Eh," you know. And I walked on my way, and I was like, yeah, all right, you're doing it. You're doing a good job, you know? And I thought to myself, no, I'm just saying hi to a guy. It felt like such a big thing, but in reality, it was so small. Anybody would do that. Jesus is calling us to love our enemies, love the people who are against us actively, in a minute, here we're going to watch a clip from a, a TV show called The Chosen. This show is about uh, Jesus and his disciples. And um, this story that we'll talk about, that, that we're going to watch, is uh, how Jesus dealt with a tax collector. So wanna Hit it.
0: We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours?
1: Matthew. Matthew, son of Alphaeus.
0: You keep moving, street preacher. you have any idea what this guy's done? Do you even know him? Yes. you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew
1: lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes. And I'm good. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. Another
0: text collector. Get used to different I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? Grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back? No, no, keep it let's find useful. Where are we going? Dinner party.
1: I'm not welcome at dinner parties, but well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. You see, Matthew wasn't expecting to be in, to be called by Jesus that day. That Roman guard didn't expect Jesus to call him, and Simon Peter, who who spoke to him, and asked ask Jesus a couple of questions, did not expect Matthew to be called that day. Instead, Jesus says, get used to different. This, these men and eventually the world will find out just how different Jesus was. Jesus looked at his enemies and died for them. Romans 5.10 tells us, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his Son, while we were still enemies we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. A couple verses earlier it says, for, while we were still sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. That's what he did for his enemies. God showed his love for us in that way. See, Jesus' entire sermon, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 of Matthew was about being different. Caring so much about your brother that you leave your sacrifice at the altar to go and reconcile with him, that's different. Someone steals from you and you give him an extra on the way out, that's different. Praying for the people who persecute you and loving your enemies, that's different. Unexpected generosity characterized the life of Jesus. And if you're saved here today, it changed your life. It gave you life. It's what his disciples are called to in order to shine a light in the world. So give up anger. Give up revenge. Give up hate. These words sound so big. These ideas sound so big. And you might think, oh, I don't don't have any enemies. I don't hate. I don't have anger. Well, when we're feeling anxious or maybe we've been mistreated at work or at school and we go home and we take it out on somebody at home, That's anger, that's unprovoked anger. When we have a friend who hasn't put in the time in our relationship and we say, if they didn't call me, I'm not gonna call them. That's revenge. When we look at people with beliefs that are different than our own and view them with disdain, thinking only of how their beliefs make us uncomfortable, that's hate. Give them up for Jesus. Do the unexpected. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for doing the unexpected. Thank you for not doing what anyone else would have done and left me to myself. Instead, You came to earth to die on the cross to pay for the things that I did wrong. God, I pray as we go out this week, I pray you'd help us to do the unexpected, that we would surprise people with our generosity. Not so that they would say, wow, what an awesome person that is. But so that they can look at God and say, wow, look at how God changed their life. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.